Welcome, everybody, to the Buffalo Bread Podcast. I am Dan Roberts, one of your co-hosts for this regular recurring Buffalo Bills weekly podcast, here today to talk with you about some exciting post-game thoughts from the New England Patriots Week 18 win in Buffalo, an emotional win for the Buffalo Bills, and to preview this week's upcoming Super Wild Card, Super we- uh, Wild Card Weekend game against the Miami Dolphins. Uh, the reason you are hearing my voice introing this podcast and not our beloved JJ is because JJ is actually on vacation in Aruba with his wife this week and next week. So JJ is taking some much needed downtime with the family, going to a wonderfully warm, exotic location. We wish him the best and hope he's having a great time. So to fill in for JJ this week, we have a special guest host. His name is Brandon Bennett, a lifelong New England Patriots fan, who we thought it would be hilarious to have a Patriots fan come on the podcast, break down the Pats Week 18 loss to the Bills, but then also do a little bit of a of a upcoming offseason autopsy and a kind of a wish list for what Brandon hopes his New England Patriots can do to get the team back into playoff contention and division contention in the future. So we are very thrilled to have Brandon here joining us for the breakdown on the pod today. Brandon, how are you doing? Hey, uh, happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I appreciate uh, you agreeing not to throw any snowballs uh, during this. Uh, So uh, (laughs) greatly appreciate that. Um, and I've also let many folks know that I've gone behind enemy lines at this point. So, um, excited to, uh, to talk about football. Excellent. Looking forward to it. So as I had mentioned, Brandon, you are a Pats fan. So everyone that listens to this podcast, all uh, four people that listen to this podcast know how JJ and I became Bills fans, but why don't you tell us a little bit about how you landed on the New England Patriots as your team of choice? Yeah. So, uh, in, in the introduction there, you mentioned a uh, lifelong Patriots fan, which is actually not quite true. Uh, so growing up, um, so you're a bandwagon not... fan. No, thank you. <laughs> That's thank, exactly thank you what I'm about to say. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I didn't watch football growing up. It just wasn't a part of, uh, you know, my education as a child. Um, so football was introduced to me my uh, freshman year of college. Um, and that happened to be the uh, Patriots undefeated sixteen and zero season. So, and I and I didn't I didn't watch any games that season. Um, it just you know wasn't something that we did. Uh, but when it came to the Super Bowl, that was that was a big deal. Uh, there was another guy who was a Giants fan. Um, and it's at that point, you know, going into the Super Bowl, I realized, oh, wow, this this team is undefeated this entire season. My buddy over here is a Giants fan. So I made a friendly bet, which I thought was uh, a safe one for Super Bowl 42. Um, I ended up losing that bet, uh, but kind of <laughs> obviously with the helmet catch. Um, but I dug my heels in at that point. Um, and then later on, uh, after college, I ended up um, moving to Boston for uh, several years, um, got married there and uh, got to got to, you know, be be there during the parade for a couple Super Bowl wins. Um, a couple send-off uh, rallies uh, in the heart of Boston. Um, so it's just a lot of fun. And, and those, you know, for the Patriots are the golden years, the ones where, um, you know, you had Julian Edelman and Gronkowski and 
you know, that whole crew. Um, oh, we know. We know yeah. intimately. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, those are the golden years for the Pats, which, you know, I think like we'll talk about those are kind of behind us at this point. Um, and for the Bills, uh, not necessarily uh, the same story, but y'all are y'all are having your time in the sun now. So that's good. Excellent. Excellent. Wow. So basically you became a Pats fan because you didn't want to like admit that there was a bet you laid on a team that lost. That's incredible. You're actually in really good company too, because we are degenerate gamblers on the show. We <laughs> regularly put in bets on Caesars and stuff like that, who is not a sponsor of the show, but who of whom I have donated several dollars to this year. Um, so great, man. You're in good company. I appreciate you sharing that story too, by the way. Um, all right. So why don't we just hop right into it? So this was week 18. It was a uh, a win and in situation for the Patriots, who coming into the game had their uh, had their grasp on the seven seed. Um, you know, Brandon, I'd be interested in your thoughts just generally because we we exchanged a couple of texts, and I believe uh, I was at the game this weekend, so uh, you received several videos of fireworks celebrations from from Highmark Stadium every time the Bills uh, the Bills scored on your beloved Patriots. But, um, you know, this was a this was a chance for for Mac Jones, Bill Belichick in the post Brady era to get into the postseason for the second time in a row. And instead, they finished the season with a losing record, the second losing record they've had in three seasons without Brady. Um, they are now in their last five games against the Bills, with the exception of a heavily wind assisted win in Buffalo last year. They're now one in four against the Bills in their last five and two and six against the Bills in their last eight games post Brady. Um, I'd be curious as to what your thoughts were heading into this game. What did you think the chances for your team were here in week 18 to beat the Bills at home and clinch a playoff spot? So I was extremely optimistic until uh, the opening kickoff. I would say uh, this was a, was bonkers, like you man. said, that was bonkers. <laughs> totally crazy. Uh, yeah. I mean, what you said, this was a win and, and be in situation for the Patriots, but um, this was also, uh, you know, home field for the bills following uh, what happened against Cincinnati. Um, and, you know, I, I think in the same sense, this was a must win, uh, situation for the Bills for different reasons. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious what the, just as a fan, what the feeling was being in the stadium for that, because um, that had to have been pretty special. And, you know, so so before the game, I, I was very optimistic. Um, you know, I I knew it was going to be a tough matchup, but but then I see that, kickoff return by Naeem Hines, which, by the way, you all should be erecting uh, a bronze statue in his honor uh, somewhere in the city of Buffalo. We absolutely um, will. But, uh, but after that, I, I, you know, I texted a buddy of mine and I said, well, uh, this is going to be a blowout um, because the Bills, the Bills were playing for something uh, that I think transcends um, playoffs. I think it transcends the sport you know i i think they truly were um playing for you know demar and each other um and so so yeah and then the game actually turns out 
to be amazing. It was a really fun game to watch, really back and forth. Um, uh, I believe it was tied going into halftime. So mm-hmm. um, that's really exciting. And we'll break it down. But I hope as a Bills fan playing against the Patriots with eight minutes left on the clock and Mac Jones having the ball, that you all have some of that PTSD of you know years <laughs> past and you may be feeling a little clench somewhere of, you know, are we really about to lose this thing? Um, you know, what happened during those last eight minutes um, was a really, as a Patriots fan, you know, a tough way to watch watch my team go out. But, um, but overall, I thought the game was spectacular, really fun to watch. Um, and, you know, this, this was a must win bill or bills win. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I um as 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 we've both mentioned I was at the stadium and before we get into like Xs and Os and film and stats, like just generally speaking, that was me I've been to a lot of live sporting events, right? Like when I was a kid, I saw Ken Griffey Jr.'s last game in Yankee Stadium as a Seattle Mariner. Um I went to Yankee Stadium for Derek Jeter's farewell tour. Um I've seen Brett Favre play his final game in the AFC when he was with the Jets. Like, like I've gone through all those stuff, and I will tell you that. The, oh, and I was at the the Pats Pats Bills wild card game last year in minus six weather too. From a from just a, just an emotional standpoint, this is probably the the most memorable game I've ever been to. The place was equal parts electric and just so like people were wearing their emotions on their sleeves. The highs of the game, everybody felt as super high. That the first kickoff return by Hines, that place lost its mind. And then the Bills defense comes right out. Rousseau gets a sack, which would be the only sack the Bills would record that game. But Rousseau gets a sack to end that drive. And many of us had the same feeling. We were like, this the Bills are gonna lay 70 on the Patriots. Like this is gonna be an all-time beatdown. And I think at that point, for everything that the players had been through with with DeMar, even with the good news that they had gotten, but everything they had, they had gone through from Monday up until that point, you could tell that emotions at that point were starting to maybe work a little bit against them. Josh came out really hyped up. He, There is something he finds offensive, I think, about your guys single high man coverage when he sees cover you guys break out cover one and he sees digs manned up with anybody he's like f it i'm gonna hold the ball for four seconds i'm gonna throw it 80 yards and that's really what josh came out and tried to do so i think emotions at that point got a little bit better of the bills and and they had to really work hard to keep it in check and the the fans i think were feeling some of that too we rode those highs and we rode those lows there were points during that game where we were like, how is it possible that the Patriots are sticking this close? Like, because the Bills had open receivers. They had opportunities on offense to really blow this thing open several times in the first half, and they just weren't capitalizing on it. And we we kind of felt those lows as well. Um, you know, people were still getting up and cheering on third down for defense for for folks to shut it down. But you could see the fatigue on the crowd emotionally. Like you could see it on some of the players. You could see people wrestling with the emotions from the day um, and from the week leading up to it, to this game as well. So I think after folks 
were able to ride that roller coaster in the stadium. We saw a little bit of that stuff settle down on the field as well. But this is a game I will never forget. Whatever X's and O's may come about, this is a game I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. And those two, those two kick returns for TDs by Hines, I mean, just just like to say we were at that game and say we saw those moments is going to be something we're going to talk about for the rest of our lives. So from an emotional standpoint, from a sports fan standpoint, there is nowhere else I would rather have been than right there in that moment. It was just an incredible experience. Um, it was an incredible emotional experience that they ended up playing a very meaningful football game around, right? Uh, and the Bills ended up being victorious in that game. But as you pointed out, took them a while to put the Pats away. And that's kind of been a theme for the Buffalo Bills this year. And and please don't don't take offense to what's about to come out of my mouth. They have allowed lesser competition to stick around all season. All right. And that this is nothing personal, Brandon. Um, but the the Patriots, from a roster build standpoint, from a strengths and weaknesses standpoint, particularly in that defensive backfield, where they continue for whatever reason to try to man up these Buffalo Bills wide receivers, um, the Bills had them outmatched. And it was interesting to see the Patriots stick around for as long as they did and in the manner that they did as well. Um, You guys are rightfully going to go find another OC, which I think is important. Patricia, though, in the, the, the game that he called was very interesting because it was a mix of two things. One reads for Mac Jones that were very quick outs. And Jones got the ball out exceptionally quick in this game. I think his time to throw was something like, 2.6 2.6 seconds, which for week 18 was third, the third fastest trigger in the league. So Patricia, I think, made some good adjustments after that Rousseau sack on the first drive. I was like, Mac is going to get killed back here. Let's just take the underneath stuff that the zone defense for the Buffalo Bills allows us to take. And then the second half of that, second half of that strategy was after exposing the underneath stuff and drawing up the safeties a little bit. Taking 50-50 shots downfield, which is something Mac has been begging this offense to do, but hasn't been allowed to do. And some of those paid off. Kyer Elam gave up a really big touchdown. I think it was to Kendrick Bourne on just a 50-50 high point that Bourne was able to come down with. So I know you guys are going to move on from Patricia, right? But let's start with the offensive side of the ball for the Patriots and the defensive side of the ball for the Bills in this game, Brandon. What are some things that you observe from Mac in this offense uh, that you really liked? And then what are some things that maybe frustrated you a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, I want to quickly respond to the note about, you know, Matt Patricia. I think that um, him and Bill Belichick have something going on. I don't think Matt Patricia leaves the team, but um, this season, you know, showed us that he is no offensive coordinator and, and, you know, it, it was, um, you know, a trial and error here to, to figure out, uh, if that was going to work. And it clearly did not. Um, I don't know how many games you watched over the course of the season, but there were, um, a few times where McCorkle and Patricia were kind of going you at said it. said McCorkle. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. You're, it, you have made a lot of fans on this podcast already, man, with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta just gotta live with that. So, um, so I mean, there were times where you know he was uh, cursing at him at the sideline, and 
um, or even from on the field, sort of yelling at uh, Matt Patricia. And so they were they were not on the same page this season. And I think he had a lot of issues with um, what Matt Patricia was calling. So so they'll move on from him. Um, and, you know, you're right when I think about what I liked in that game. Um, I think it, it played to uh, McCorkle's strengths more. He's, you know, he's a pocket. <laughs> he's a pocket passer. I'm sorry. I had to mute my mic because I'm just going to die every time you say McCorkle. I'm going to mute myself. <laughs> so, you know, he's he's a pocket passer. Um, but, you know, I we have uh, Aglor out there, but he had, I think, one target that resulted in um, a turnover to the bills. Um, so, you know, he's going to be a free agent heading into 2023. Uh, he's clearly gone, I think at this point. Um, and you know, Patriots are notorious for, uh, not paying out, um, and being stingy when it comes to money. So, you know, I think Aguilar is going to find a new home. Um, I really, really loved the Jacoby Myers, uh, touchdown, um, that was magical. Uh, I, I did hear from somebody who, um, might've been sitting next to you for that, uh, over here, you say that <laughs> you would bet one of your children that, uh, Jacoby did not make that catch and was out of bounds. Um, <laughs> I did. Is I was that pretty true? aggressive. I was pretty aggressive in my original assessment because to the naked eye, it doesn't look like it doesn't, didn't look like at all. Like he got his right foot down on the back of the end zone. But then they put, and like, we were in the 300s, so that is the most jacked up section of Highmark, the 300s, right? But when we saw it on the Jumbotron, we were all like, oh, wow. And then to a person, Bill's fan, Pat's fan, whoever was there, we were all just amazed that he was able to come down with that ball. So I was very cavalier in my willingness to bet my loved ones that that would get overturned. And I'm glad I actually, no one took me up on it because I would have been wrong. It was just an amazing catch. Yeah. So I was really happy with how the Patriots offense uh, recovered after uh, the opening kickoff. Um, they they were able to get down the field. Mac Jones threw for um, three touchdowns and I believe Josh Allen also threw for three touchdowns and they were very close when it came to yardage. And so the game really boiled down to, um, I think, pressure um, being in that situation for a sophomore quarterback, um, game on the line and forcing the ball downfield, leading to those turnovers, um, which the Bills were ready for. So that's where, you know, I, I think I was disappointed. Um, and some of those balls just weren't in the right place. The one to uh, Hunter Henry in the end zone that was overthrown uh, over his head. And then um, I can't remember which uh, Bills um, defensive player made the made the interception off that. Uh, really disappointed with Damian Harris's tip ball, uh, which also resulted in an interception. I don't blame Mac for that one, um, but the other two are, are completely his fault. So, um, otherwise, uh, I think Ramondre Stevenson had five uh, receptions for the game. Um, I love to see him involved from a fantasy football perspective, involved in the passing game. Um, nice. And I think heading into next year, Ramondre is going to have a really, really big role. 
um, heading into next season. And Damian Harris is probably out if I had to uh, make a bet on it. So, yeah, I, th- I think you're probably right. Stevenson seems to be the go to back both in the traditional run game and in the pass catching swing stuff out of the backfield, um, which we'll see how much of that that screen game and and swing out stuff stays in the playbook, depending on who your new OC is. But he's a, you know, he's one of these, you know, Belichick is interesting in that he doesn't always draft well in the the top tier rounds, day one, day two, but he's finds some of these guys uh, in the later days of the draft where is unsigned free agents and is able to really maximize their strengths within their system. Um, yeah, Stevenson, I think, is going to be a, a nice foundational skill piece for you guys to build around next year. Um, I, dude, I, um, I was blown away. You had mentioned the statistical comparison between Mac Jones and Josh Allen, and I was blown away at how close they were by the time we made it to the fourth quarter, statistically speaking. Um, and, you know, there's... There is this stream of Twitter thought amongst Bill's Mafia that Leslie Frazier's defense is a little too soft. And I would say, not from a physicality standpoint, but from a aggressiveness and coverage standpoint, everybody points to that game for that week 14 game against the Dolphins, where we just decided after three teams in a row had showed us that press man coverage stops the Dolphins dead in their tracks. We weren't going to do that. We were going to continue to give Waddle and Hill free releases off the line. So there have been folks who have been very vocal complainers of some of Frazier's secondary defensive scheming. And I will be honest with you, watching Jones like just take three-step drops and dump it off to a guy that had seven yards of clearance in front of him every time he had the ball... I have to tell you, that was the very first time I had watched a Bills game all season where I felt that defensive secondary was playing a little bit soft. Now, where they ended up making some really great adjustments was they realized that 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 the, um, the pass rush was absolutely not getting to Jones. He was just getting the ball out too quick, and they had too much liability that they were giving up the flats. So what I noticed was a really good adjustment, I mean, and thankfully not too late, was in the fourth quarter, they started simply just keeping contain around Jones and focused on only getting their hands up. The the tip drill, the tip interception, that's a Buffalo Bills specialty that has been in, like they literally will train these guys in in practice and in the offseason on, if you can't get to the QB, get your hands up because we've got a great secondary with guys like Poyer and Trey White back there. Get it up in the air, and if it's a free-for-all opportunity, We've got an opportunity to have one of our guys come down with it. So they just started doing some of that. They started getting their hands up more. They were still trying to apply pressure, simulate pressure on Jones. But really the focus was uh, at the line of scrimmage, get your hands up and cloud his passing lanes. And that seemed to make all of the difference in the fourth quarter. Um, Some of those 50-50 balls that he threw up also came back to bite him. Uh, Trey White had that interception in the end zone. And we had a perfect angle on it from our seats. So we could tell we could tell that Jones was simply trying was trying to go back shoulder. White did a great job keeping his eye on the ball. Him and him and Henry were hand checking, which I think was fine. Um, the refs were allowing that to get away on both sides throughout the entire game. Um, and he just made a play on the ball where Jones expected Henry to be able to back shoulder it. 
Um, it White was just White was just incredible on that play, um, and it's the type of heads up ball hawking play that the Bills have been lacking this season. And we'll talk a little bit about that when we talk about Kyer Elam and Dane Jackson. And I think there is an open question mark heading into the Miami game about who is going to be the solid number two opposite Trey White, because for that interception that White had. The other two, the other two DBs uh, or primary outside corners and Elam and Jackson didn't have that good of a game. So I think leading up to that fourth quarter, my general assessment of this Pats offense would be that they finally did a good job of letting Jones do what he said he wanted to do, which was attack downfield in the right moments. It just ultimately, when the Bills made those adjustments, came back to bite him in the butt. As a Bills fan, something that was of concern for me was the lack of efficacy of guys other than Trey White. So in specifically talking about the outside corners in Dane Jackson and Kyra Elam, I've liked a lot of what I've seen from Kyra Elam this year, Brandon. Um, and Dane Jackson, while he has struggled at points and been exposed and his limitations been exposed at points, you got to appreciate what the guy has done in covering so much priority territory for the Bills. Um, as White has been injured, going back to last season, has been on the road to recovery this season. Um, that being said, though, neither were super impressive. There were points where Elam in man coverage got beat and got out and got outplayed by some of these wide receivers for, for New England. And Jones, to his credit, was high-pointing a lot of really good balls in a lot of good situations, the Trey White interception being the, uh, being the exception to that. Um, it, you know, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to diagnose this from a Bills fan standpoint, Brandon, and you can let me know here if I am, uh, if I am on the right path. I think the bill, the bills are not a passive defense. We've said it a ton of times. They do a ton of stuff at the line of scrimmage to simulate pressure, flow to center, have a, have a linebacker like Edmonds or Milano attack the line of scrimmage. Taron Johnson, who ever since Trey White has come back, has been an absolute beast in the run defense game again and has locked down slot wide receivers like he is we are used to seeing him do. Um, so they do a lot of that really aggressive stuff around the line of scrimmage, but it feels like if you're a QB with a quick trigger and there are only QBs with quick, quick triggers left in the playoffs in Mahomes and with Burrow, um, I worry that this defense and the soft zone coverage that they play can be exploited. As someone who is on the opposite opposite side of the fence, am I paranoid or am I on to something based on what you're seeing? Uh, no, I, I, I think you are, and you know, I've told you this before, but uh, one thing I appreciate about your podcast is that you say more negative things about the Bills than <laughs> I could ever say. So, um, so no, no, I think you're right. I think that, uh, you can see there where the weaknesses are and the Patriots did their darndest to try and exploit um, what they perceived as weaknesses um, and, and were able to make progress down the field for those three touchdowns. Um, you mentioned receivers uh, for the Patriots sort of getting loose. Um, the one that I also wanted to highlight was Hunter Henry, um, who had seven targets, six receptions, um, big bodied guy. Um, he, he's no Rob Gronkowski, but the Patriots, we love our tight ends. Um, we like them big, tall, physical, and fast. Um, and so, you know, I, I think 
it, it's easy as a Patriots fan to draw a little bit of a correlation to Brady Gronk, uh, Jones, Hunter Henry. Like we really want that to happen. We're got our fingers crossed. Um, so, so no, I, I think you're absolutely onto something and something that the bills will need to work on for next season. So, yeah, I, um, you know, coming into this season, JJ and I had, had made some bold predictions sure to go wrong. And one of those predictions was that the Buffalo bills would play more press man coverage because Kyer Elam was their first round draft pick. He's an exceptionally athletic, exceptionally gifted, fast, physical press man corner. He has struggled in zone at times, which is what the Buffalo Bills play a majority of the time. But our thought was that when Trey White got back up and running, Elam, as long as he didn't do anything to to really lose the confidence of the coaching staff, would be the clear number two outside corner. And the Buffalo Bills, in order to counter some of this speed that other teams in the conference and in the division are bringing to bear with the wide receiver um, in, the, in the wide receiver category um, we're bringing, uh, they were going to just play more press man and try to disrupt some of these quick throw timing-based offenses like we see in Miami, like we see in Cincinnati. Joe Burrow has got the quickest trigger I've ever seen since your boy, Tom Brady. Um, and I think that bears out, bears out in the stats. I think the top two quickest triggers in the league are Brady still, um, mostly because he just can't survive behind that offensive line without getting it out in two seconds. Very and true. Burrow. Yeah, right. And Burrow. Um, and, and Mahomes, it just the, the one reads that they build in for Kelsey and that are just unbelievable. Kelsey is just always open. And it's I always feel like they get the ball out in under two seconds in Kansas City. So my our thought was that the Bills were going to play more press man and even as White has gotten healthy and started to get some of his old ability back, they just haven't done it. And I think it's a point of concern because the coverage for the Buffalo Bills just can't hold up that long without Von Miller and without the pass rush unless we bring a blitz package without the pass rush getting home to the QB. I was looking at NFL Next Gen stats. I'm, I'm the stat geek on this on this particular podcast, Brandon. JJ is the film guy, but I was looking at the um, at next gen stats. I was just curious because it felt like as someone watching the game there that other than the first drive, the Buffalo Bills pass rushers were never around Mac Jones because um, he was getting the ball out so quick. So I was just curious what was their average distance from Mac Jones when he released the ball. So for point of comparison, the average NFL distance from a pass rusher to a pass thrower is about 4.53 yards okay no one on the buffalo bills pass rush starting pass rush front was within 5.5 yards of mac jones when he released the ball he was just getting that out so quick and coverage was breaking down so quickly on the back end for the bills in this game and i think this is going to be a point of concern for them moving forward um it's going to be curious to see, I mean, the Miami game, we'll talk about the Miami game, um, but it's going to be curious to see that if they get out of the Miami game, if there is a rematch with Cincinnati, it, if they end up continuing to play some of the soft, so, softer zone coverage that they are playing out there. Um, but I was I was blown away. I, I felt like the Pats, I, f- I felt like no one expected the Pats offense because it had been so bad to be that effective against a defense that is ranked in the top five from a DVOA perspective. And it was remarkably effective with its quick timing throws 
and then well-timed up until the fourth quarter, 50-50 balls downfield. I think that could potentially be a mix for some of these other teams the Bills will be facing to really maximize uh, weaknesses in that zone defense. So, all right, we've talked a little bit about the defensive side of the ball for the Patriots, uh, or defensive side of the ball for the Bills. I want to talk about the offense because that was a much different story for for your for our Buffalo Bills, uh, and a different story for your New England Patriots uh, defense. So I will tell you, Brandon, I think Josh Allen hates you guys. I just think he loathes you all, and all he ever wants to do is bomb out when he faces you guys. I say this because I made it a particular point when I was watching this game. To not watch Allen, to watch where the wide receivers were. Ken Dorsey has schemed up, I think, he's taken a lot of flack on social media, but when I watch film, there's always a Bills wide receiver open, and they're always open on schedule within 2.5 to 2.6 seconds. And in this game, I was curious to see if that was going to be the case, and it was. And I was screaming, Shakir's open, or Diggs is open, or Davis is open, right? And Allen was just holding on to the ball, running around in the backfield, sometimes because pass pro broke down, but other times because he just wanted a 50-yard dagger every time he launched the ball against you guys. So I'd be curious as to what your thoughts were on what you observed from the offensive side of the, the ball for the Bills. Allen had 31 pass attempts in this game. He had three passing TDs, as we noted. But of those 31 attempts, over half were beyond the sticks. He was going 10 yards plus against you guys with eight passes going for over 20 yards, two of which were completed for TDs. He obviously wanted to exploit the long parts of the field and the boundaries against you guys. So Brandon, what were your thoughts watching Josh Allen time after time after time again attack you guys deep? Because you've got a pretty good safety pairing and you've got some pretty fast DBs on your end of things. So what was it like from your perspective to watch some of that? Yeah, well, what I'll say is that Josh Allen is a really fun quarterback to watch. Um, I think he's one of the fiercest competitors in the NFL. And I've said many times that I'm not so sure he's going to have a very long career in the NFL because of how he puts his body out there. And and you love to see it because, you know, he he he's clearly competing and um He's quick on his feet. He's got a cannon for an arm. Um, there's just something magical about the mind meld that he has with Stefan Diggs. Um, living in uh, Rochester previously, um, all my neighbors would have, you know, Diggs and uh, and Josh Allen signs in their yards. So, um, so that's just really kind of special to watch. Um, the ability for Josh Allen to scramble um, and just continue to look downfield um, to use his arm and find the guy that's open. He had the 42 yard touchdown to John Brown um, motioning downfield, uh, escaping pressure. One Patriot got a hand on him um, and he just throws a bomb. Brown makes a diving catch Um in the end zone and you know it, it just speaks to his accuracy his ability to throw the ball uh deep and he's he's special to watch um 
the the Dawson Knox touchdown was pretty much the same thing, right? He's scrambling in the pocket, gets out of it, is looking downfield and just waiting for Knox to get open, um, break coverage and, and lands it perfectly to him deep in the end zone, you know? So those types of things from a Patriots perspective are, are frustrating to watch, but, um, but it's also really fun to watch uh, Josh Allen do what he does. um, And, and just the way that he, he finds his receivers. It wasn't the, the, the Stefan Diggs show all day, right? Like he, he did spread the ball to other guys. Um, those touchdowns went to three different, uh, names. So, um, so yeah. Yeah. It, it's, um, you mentioned the chemistry that he's got with Diggs. He's got a similar kind of chemistry with Knox as well, especially when they up get, end up getting into the, the end zone. Um, and Knox's production has been down a little bit this year compared to last year. Uh, or reason being is like if you watch film, they've had to keep Knox in additionally as an endline blocker, game after game after game, and have just not been able to take advantage of a lot of his pass catching skills, particularly in the red zone. Um, but coverage on that particular TD that you mentioned or protection held up really well for Allen. Allen had all day back there to throw. And when he has that kind of time and he's got the chemistry with guys like Diggs and Knox that he's got, those guys can improv and Allen knows exactly where they're going to go. And I would argue that this team is more dangerous when they have to improv as opposed to when they stay on script, which is the complete opposite of what you would expect from a a well-calibrated offense. Like I think about the Miami Dolphins who are going to play this week. Everything they do is on script. There is very little improv that goes on. Everything is finely tuned by Mike McDaniel um, and executed by Tua prior to his prior to his concussion um, to almost perfection. The Buffalo Bills are like a Jackson Pollock painting. Like you look at it and it looks like it's a mess, but eventually you see the beauty in it. You know what I mean? So, um, and it's it's just been interesting and it's the opposite of what I think a lot of Bills fans expected out of this offense this year. Um, one of the things that many Bills fans, JJ and myself included, expected to happen, finally happened with this offense. And that was James Cook getting the majority of the steps over Devin Singletary. Um, I... Brandon, I personally love James Cook, uh, in case you you don't know this from listening to past pods. I've heard all about it. Yes, you have done your homework for this. Um, And and listen, Motor has been incredible for this team. He's been stable. He has been efficient. He has been consistent. He's a running back that brings a really high floor to what is otherwise a very weak traditional run game. Cook, Cook turns what would be a four-yard gain for Singletary into a seven- or eight-yard gain for himself. And he's got speed that just looks different. Um, Like Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, they look like Sonic and Tails when they are running around the field. Like Hill's legs move so fast, it is absolutely incredible. Cook's speed is a lot smoother. It's like this dude teleports. There were points where he was stopped in that game at the line of scrimmage. I'm like, oh, well, that's going to go for potentially negative yards. And then all of a sudden, I would look, and he would be out of the scrum and five yards upfield. 
he was taking what should have been negative yard producing plays and turning them into five, six yards of positive game. Um, his speed is a game changer. His contact balance, which was very underrated in the draft process this year with him coming out of Georgia, has been incredible too. And that had been the argument up until this point for why the Bills were giving Motor a majority of the snaps. That, and they weren't sure if Cook could pass protect as well as Motor could. Um, when he had to stay as an extra blocker in the backfield. What I saw in this game, Brandon, was Cook doing all of those things at a very high level of proficiency. And you can see the slow build over time that the Bills took to get him to this place. But now that he is, and the Bills are giving, look like they're prepared to give him the majority of the snap share. He got 56% of the snaps in this game to Singletary's 41. I think the Bills have a nice new wrinkle that opposing defenses are going to have to really primarily game plan for when they look at shutting down this Buffalo Bills run run offense. Um, because outside of Cook, the rest of that run offense was really not not spectacular. I'll tell you what I was really impressed about with, with your boys here. Um, your, your front seven is fast and nasty, my friend. And yeah. y'all were playing a lot of wide nine in setting the edge. And if you weren't getting to Allen, you were keeping contain. And when you play wide nine like that, you f- end up floating Mitch Morse, who is our center. So he's kind of, there are, There were points, I would say, maybe just by my count, 15 to 20% of the, the snaps, he just didn't have anybody to block. And then all of a sudden, Bentley or Judon would come racing through the A-gap and put pressure on Allen either up the middle or shut down an Allen scramble up the middle. A hole in the gap would open up, but it'd be immediately filled by one of your speedy linebackers. Allen tried to run the ball that game. I think he had nine rushing attempts for like 16 yards. It was the most successful I have seen a team shut down Josh Allen's scrambling ability. And again, similar to what this quick release and 50-50 mix against the Bills was this week on your offensive game plan, your defensive game plan, I think, provides a little bit of a blueprint for how you shut down the Josh Allen scramble drill. Uh, I was super impressed with that. Super impressed with that. Um, one other thing here before we move on, because I know we brought you on ultimately to do a autopsy heading into your guys' offseason here. <laughs> um, something Bills fans, you should keep an eye out for as we head into wildcard weekend here. Isaiah McKenzie is on the injury list, and he's been listed as questionable. Khalil Shakir in that game got about 25% of the snap share. He only had one target, but he turned it into a 28-yard reception. And similar to Cook, Shakir's speed is like of, of a teleport of nature. He's in one place, he plants, and then bef- you, in a blink of an eye, he is seven or eight yards up the field. He's a decisive route runner, but he's also the most decisive Buffalo Bills wide receiver outside of Stefan Diggs after the catch. So if McKenzie is indeed dinged up, I think the Bills, while they have not worked up Shakir in the same way they've worked up Cook to take a larger snap share, I think you could see a lot of Khalil Shakir. His release was perfectly timed. And there were literally moments in the game, Brandon, where I was shouting out loud, Shakir is open, Shakir is open, hit him downfield. His release and his ability to gain inside leverage gives Allen what he really hasn't had all season, which is a reliable target that can expose the middle of the field and allow for higher margin of error throws. 
I will be curious to see if what we saw from Shakir in this game ends up translating more and more into the postseason. Because if it does, not just Cook, but Shakir in the slot, which is a position that has been underproducing for the Bills all season, could potentially be new wrinkles that are going to confound some of these defensive coordinators that they're going to see this offseason, this uh, postseason. So, I mean, listen, final thoughts on this game for me. It was an amazing emotional experience. Lots of interesting tidbits to take away for how teams may choose to use this Patriots blueprint to game plan against the Buffalo Bills, both offensively and defensively. Um, but ultimately, always happy to see the Patriots season end in high mark again. Brandon, <laughs> any final thoughts on this game before we go to the autopsy here on, on your Patriots? Uh I mean, I know how happy you must have been with with Cook um, getting more work there, probably as happy as I was watching uh, Devin Singletary fumble the ball um, and turn it over. So, you know, one quick question before we move on, but with Singletary's performance in that game and Naheem Hines, who is a career running back, do you think Hines has earned himself a a bigger role in the offense, or is he only going to be this special teamer? That's a really great question. Um, I, listen, the Buffalo Bills are loyal to their guys to a fault, and Singletary is one of their guys. I think McDermott likes his comfort food, and he likes reliability. And again, Hines is an incredible player, He got a limited amount of snaps in the traditional offense in the game, but the Buffalo Bills value all three phases of the game. Special teams, which after that game, they are now number one in overall DVOA in special teams. Um, Offense and defense. I think we're going to see Cook take a lion's share of the snaps, but the consistency, the reliability, and the loyalty that the Bills organization has shown to Singletary, I think unless something catastrophic happens, like he gets injured or he fumbles the ball three times in one game and loses it, I think we're going to see the rotation primarily be be Cook and Singletary. And when Hines is on the field, it's going to be in a dual running back set, set with Cook to make opposing defenses really account for all of that speed coming out of the backfield. So I think there is a place for Singletary here in the postseason, but I think it's squarely in the backup number two role. Great question, though. All right. Are you ready to talk exclusively for the next 10 to 15 minutes about your New England Patriots and what their offseason plans are? I would love to. Let's do it. All right. Excellent. All right. So, Brandon, the way we're, here's the way we're going to work this. I'm going to give a couple of quick tidbits here about the team. Key free agents, projected cap space. And then I've got three questions for you that I feel like are the top priorities for the team to potentially address here in the offseason. So I'm going to ask you those questions. I'm going to get the take of a, of a, a, a dyed-in-the-wool Patriots fan on this. All right? So offseason priorities. You guys have projected cap space coming up at $44.1 million, which right now puts you all at about the third largest Ca- uh, largest amount of cap space in the league. Now, I think the league still has to officially set the cap for next year. It could go up. And then, of course, everybody manages the cap in a different way with adjustments and things like that. But heading into the the, the offseason here, you guys have a good amount of salary to work with. 
and you're losing um, some key some key pieces uh, both in the defensive backfield and in your wide receiver room. You mentioned Algalore already. Jacoby Myers also a free agent. Jonathan Jones free agent cornerback, and then Devin McCourty, who if he doesn't come back, there's a good chance that McCourty ends up retiring. Also another key free agents you guys have coming off the books at this point. So you're going to have some some decisions you need to make in the wide receiver room and potentially the defensive backfield. But Brandon, I want to start with what I think is my top priority for this team to address, and that is the OC position. Mm-hmm. And I preface this by saying And I don't say this lightly because I have a huge amount of respect for Belichick as a coach, but I felt like this was the worst coached Patriots squad I've seen in a very long time, simply from a discipline, just from a discipline standpoint and a scheme standpoint. Okay, good. You agree. Like, so this was a top 10 unit when it came to penalties collected this year. And I can't ever remember seeing a Bill Belichick coach squad that looked so sloppy, so unprepared, and so undisciplined. The offensive line at points looked like it wasn't even on the same page. And Matt Patricia, in addition to being your OC and play caller, was also your offensive line coach this year. So my number one question for you is who is you going to be your offensive coordinator this season? A couple of options that are out there. Bill O'Brien, former um, NFL head coach, former Belichick disciple, currently sitting in Alabama with Nick Saban as their OC. We've got Cliff Kingsbury, which I think is like a Twitter fever dream and doesn't have a whole lot of reality happening. And then you've got a guy like Zach Robinson, the passing game coordinator for the um, LA Rams, right? So talk to me a a little bit about who you think is going to be your OC next year, because that's going to be a huge domino that's going to determine a lot of other things for you guys. Yeah. So, you know, Tom Brady leaves the Patriots and then the question arises, you know, which we've slowly seen the answer to, which was it Brady or was it Belichick or, or was it both? You know what I mean? And I think, you know, during their era, Belichick has been highly regarded as somewhat of a football genius, a a savant. Um, And I, I think we've all seen now that he's human. Um, I think he is a defensive genius, um, but without Josh McDaniels, um, you know, we've seen what happens. Uh, And again, they're not going to playoffs. So so to your question, uh, who's going to be the offensive coordinator, I think is uh, is. Absolutely on point, priority number one. We got to figure this out um, long before we figure out positions on the field. Um, you mentioned some names. I think uh, what I would bet money on is um, Nick Cayley. He's actually the tight ends coach uh, for the Patriots. Nice. Internal. I mean, yeah, we love to promote within. Look what uh, you know Belichick did with um, Matt Patricia bringing him back after, you know, whatever you want to call what Matt Patricia did in, in Detroit, um, giving him, I think, I think it's called failure, whatever that was a little (laughs) sabbatical, um, giving him the 
senior football advisor title, uh, which is it was just laughable. You know, they're just up stuff. Yeah, they just they just made up a spot for him. But my point is that it was about loyalty, right? It was about bringing somebody in and making room for somebody who's been around for a while. Nick Cayley has been around uh, the Patriots for quite some time. He was, you know, worked closely with uh, Josh McDaniels. Um, so he understands Josh McDaniels' offense. Um, Belichick trusts him. News came out uh, earlier today that the Jets are actually eyeing Nick Cayley for their own offensive coordinator position. And I think the Patriots will make a deal to keep him uh, in New England and give him that spot and that opportunity. And I think you'll see uh, a much better Patriots offense next season. What I said earlier, Patriots, we love our tight ends, big, aggressive, uh, and fast. And so um, that Mac Jones, Hunter Henry connection is only going to get better if Kaylee does become the offensive coordinator, which at this point I'm hoping for and I also think is is likely. Wow, very nice, very nice. Uh, an internal hire is something Buffalo Bills can absolutely appreciate. After Dable left for... His head coaching gig for the New York Giants. We have very, very famously promoted Ken Dorsey, um, micro, uh, the the bane of all Microsoft Surface tablets, uh, to OC here. And you're right, there is value in keeping your people. And I think the other thing about Belichick, um, I think if it's an outside external candidate, it's gonna be somebody that's got ties to Belichick because you're right, that's an organization that prides itself on its internal promotion process. But also Belichick it doesn't strike me as a guy who likes to be challenged all that much. He respects expertise, but he's not going to let someone like, let's just say Cliff Kingsbury, which again, I think is a very far-fetched notion. Cliff Kingsbury allegedly runs an air raid scheme, even though for all three seasons that he was Arizona's head coach, all they did was check down Charlie stuff with Kyler Murray. Um, I didn't see anything that that led me to believe that Kingsbury was this amazing schemer. But that being said, let's just say that Kingsbury uh, is the air raid god that everyone made him out to be prior to his failure in Arizona. That is the exact opposite of the philosophy that Belichick maintains um, for the holistic approach he wants to take to any given football game. He doesn't typically want to air it out. Even in his best years with Brady, Brady was quick release, stuff underneath, Dion Branch. Everyone points to, to highlight film of Randy Moss because that stuff was absolutely bonkers to watch. But outside of some of the Moss stuff, that was a team that was predicated mostly on very quick hits, a la Chip Kelly's offense in Oregon, which um, Belichick famously respected and studied. So I agree with you. I think it's probably an internal hire. If it's someone who's external, to me, it feels like Bill O'Brien might be the best fit because Belichick at this point just wants someone who's going to align with his philosophy because he's got a win now mentality. All right. Excellent. You ready for question number two? Yeah, bring it on. All right, cool. So this is a very roster specific question. The next two are very roster specific. Um, Belichick very famously two off seasons ago invested a lot of money into the pass catching core. Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, um, Nelson Aguilar, drafted Tyquan Thornton, 
Um, and you've got Kendrick Bourne. Um, you've got Kendrick Bourne on the roster as well. That being said, this is a it was, this felt like a really weird amalgamation of wide receiver talent, and I it, it part of it was probably scheme. But for the stuff that Mac Jones does well and the stuff that we know Belichick wants to do, right? A lot of these quick hits underneath, a lot of yards after catch, a la Wes Welker back in the heyday. There doesn't there didn't seem to be a guy in that wide receiver room that really could do a lot of that stuff. Parker is a deep threat. Uh Devontae Parker is a deep threat who you guys traded for. Al Galore is a deep threat. Thornton is a track star. That dude is blazing fast, but not exactly a polished route runner. It just seems like you guys had a lot of guys that could run straight up field, but didn't have a lot of guys that could expose intermediate or short parts of the field. Add to that, you guys had a ton of O-line deficiencies this year, which is not something that you typically see from a Patriots offense, but it led to a lot of issues with and limitations, I think, on what Mac Jones could do and what Patricia could ultimately play. So my question for you is this. It's not a great O-line free agent market, and it's not a, a not a great wide receiver free agent market, but you guys have a lot of cap space to play with. Can the talent on the O-line and the wide receiver room be improved enough in the offseason to get the Patriots back to playoff competitive level? Uh, obviously, of course, and the Patriots will make a Super Bowl run next year. So I love the giddy (laughs) optimism of an an early exit from the season. I remember those days. I remember those days. (laughs) So, so, you know, you think about uh, the draft, priority number one is going to be an OT. Um, Isaiah Wynn is on the chopping block, uh, just didn't get it done for us this year. Um, Connor McDermott was, I think he got picked up off the Jets practice squad, um, going to be a free agent and he's no starter. And so that is, uh, I think the, the primary need when you look at this, uh, upcoming off season from a draft perspective, from a free agency perspective, I, I don't necessarily agree fully that there's not a lot of options, um, I think there are some out there that the Patriots are likely to target because they're not going to pay Aguilar. They're not going to pay to keep him. There's a much better chance that Jacoby Myers gets a bigger contract. If you just look at the way that they used Myers this past season versus the way they used Aguilar, um, Myers was the primary target, uh, might've been the leading uh, wide receiver um, for New England this season and also the third year in a row. Mm-hmm. And I think they make a deal that's cheaper than what they're paying Aguilar now. So, you know, then you look at, okay, who are other teams losing to free agency um, that the Patriots could target? Uh, you have Scotty Miller down in Tampa. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, I think, is going to be available. Um Sterling Shepard off the Giants, Alan Lazard from Green Bay. Um, and so uh, one other name I wanted to mention, Nicole Hartman. Um, from Kansas I, City, yeah. Yeah, I think he's also going to be a free agent. So I, I think there's names, and, and I do think that there's a chance that Patriots try to make a deal um, with one of those 
names that, um, you know, you, you've heard people that are fast get open. Uh, I think of that list, McCole Hartman's the fastest. Um, Him and Scotty Miller. Scotty Miller yeah. is a speedster. And, and but, by the way, born to be a Patriot. Scotty, just the name, Scotty Miller. <laughs> I totally agree with you there. Um, and that, you know, that wide receiving core down in Tampa is really hard to shine in, right? At a certain point, um, we had, uh, Anto- or they had Antonio Brown, um, Chris yeah, Godwin, Mike, Mike Chris Evans. Godwin, yeah. Like, how do, you, how do you shine in uh a packed wide receiver room like that. So Scotty Miller, Julio Jones for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They had Cole Beasley for uh, a couple of games down there. So, (laughs) so uh, before he uh, abruptly retired and then unretired. Um, So, yeah. So I I think the Patriots look to uh, free agency to pick up a wide receiver, um, fill the gap that Aguilar is going to leave behind elevate Jacoby Myers to an even bigger role potentially. Um, and in the draft, they will be targeting an OT in the first round 14th overall pick, which is, I believe their highest pick since 2008. Um, and so they're, they're not going to waste it. Yeah, I agree. I I think they build the O-line through the draft. It, it'll be interesting to see if Juju, you know, because this is the calculation, right? If you want to peel away a guy like Juju and Hardman, you can probably throw more money at both of those guys than the Kansas City Chiefs can. But then the question ultimately becomes, do they want to catch balls from Mac Jones or do they want to continue catching balls from Patrick Mahomes? And this brings me, I think, Brandon, to my final question for you. And I and and this is not tongue in cheek at all. This is a very serious question. Is the Pats 2023 QB currently on the roster? So I want to preface this. This is not just McCorkle slander like you will find on other Buffalo Bills podcasts. This is refined, high-level high thinking around this. So Jones definitely regressed this year. And I think there will be great debate depending on where Jones' career ultimately goes as to what was the, what was the deficiency. Was it the coaching? Was it a skill? Was it the roster talent available? Um, again, we just talked about the struggles with the O-line and some of the some of the sameness of this wide receiver room. Or was it all of the above? But at the end of the day, he posted a passer rating well below the league average at 84.8, had a QBR of 34, where the league average is supposed to be 50. He threw more interceptions than TDs. And if you look at the arc of his whole career, You look at his last six games in his rookie season up until this season, and there has been a steady and protracted regression from what his high point statistically was in his rookie season. So I I think it bears asking, is Mac Jones your QB for 2023? Because there will be some free agent and trade options available. David Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, who... Could you could you write a better script than that? Garoppolo comes in and and maybe salvages the latter part of Belichick's career. Baker Mayfield, who I, I don't think he's going to want to go be a backup in in L.A. And I think he played himself into someone throwing some money at him. You've got Sam Darnold, um, Geno Smith, right? 
who may or may not be back in Seattle, depending on how things shake out. And then you've got another guy, Chuck's Notes. Oh, yes, Tom Brady, who is also scheduled to be a free agent this season. So there's going to be options for you guys. There will. And your defense is ready to win now. It's the offense, similar to the New York Jets, that is lagging. So is Mac Jones your guy in 23, or do you guys need to go a different route? Yeah. Who knows? Uh, what a good question. Yeah. You, um, you need to know. You're out of no, I'm just playing. Yeah, right? It's tough. <laughs> yeah. I. So, you know, we, we saw this season, I think, initially the team very much behind Mac Jones, and then he got benched uh, against Cleveland. Happy um, hour. Uh, no, with Chicago. He, yes, week seven against uh, Chicago. Um, Mac Mac starts that game and then gets benched for Bailey Zappi in the second quarter, and ultimately they go to lose that game. Um, a lot of controversy in New England about that decision. I don't think Bill was very popular for that, just because there's been a lot of support for Mac Jones as a leader in this offense. Um. I'll say this from a a fan perspective. I don't like everything that I see from Mac Jones. I think he uh, he's done a lot of dirty plays that Mm -hmm. gives him a bad reputation. Um, And I think the Patriots need to need to build away from that uh, reputation and, and just be a, a more classy organization overall. Um, and that's not helping them. So I think Bailey Zappi is our Mike White for the Jets, right? He, Interesting, yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he's uh, beloved for um, coming in when we need him, but I, I don't think he's the future in New England. Um, ultimately, what I do think happens is I think the Patriots will stick with Mac for another year at least. Um, what happens with Cam Newton's one year deal, right? It was a total, um, sham. Total flame out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was embarrassing. I think for, for him and for us, um, really trying to fill the shoes of the goat, uh, with just another name. Um, and it, it just didn't pan out well. So I, I think what we saw this season was, a sophomore slump. I do think it was, uh, you know, who was coaching the offense. I think that was a major part of it. He had a great rookie season. Um, he looked phenomenal last season. So I, I think the Patriots look to change first and foremost, the offensive coordinator, um, and stick with Mac Jones for the upcoming season. We may during camp hear stories about, you know, a quarterback competition and, um, just like we did, you know, down in uh, wherever Baker Mayfield was, uh, Carolina and Sam Darnold, they were going at it. Um, so I, I think we'll see a similar story, but I I think I'd be surprised if they go pick up uh, a free agent quarterback. The only name you mentioned that really excites me is Geno Smith. Um, I mean, look at what he's done in, in Seattle in the vacuum of Russell Wilson and look at Russell Wilson. Um, 
which is just really fun to make their uh, their statistical comparisons for this last season, especially when you look at how much Russell Wilson's being paid, um, oh which God. which is a crime. It, it's that should be illegal. What what Russell Wilson gets paid? So they to did, do he it. didn't even play a game, and they extended <laughs> him for all that guaranteed money. My mind was blown. Yeah, My mind was blown by that. Decision. It's absolutely nuts. So. So, yeah, I, I'm a fan of uh, Geno Smith and what he's been able to do in Seattle. Um, so I think that's the only name I would I would get excited for. Um, even Garoppolo, you know, I, I think uh, his talents are probably better served elsewhere. Um, Tom Brady's not coming back to New England. As storybook as that would be, I think crazy. The, the bridge is a little burned there. Um, and Tom Brady... You know, he's always had a chip on his shoulder, so I think he's got something to prove. Um, so, yeah, so I think the Patriots will stick with Mac Jones. I, I don't think they'll be um, targeting any big-name quarterbacks in free agency. And, um, you know, if, if they take anybody in the draft, it'll be super, super late. Um, so. What, a, what, do you, what are your thoughts on bringing in a solid veteran. So the Bills did this for Josh Allen. They brought in a veteran presence that could help Josh Josh mature and could provide reliable backup coverage in the event Josh got hurt, but really wasn't going to challenge him, right? They did that with Matt Barkley. And famously, those two had a wonderful relationship. And Josh, to this day, credits Matt with his ability to acclimate to, to the NFL game. Do you think, because Jones hasn't really had that, so there was that limited QB competition with him and Cam Newton, um, Jones won out, Newton was jettisoned, and then Bailey Zappi, a rookie, has been his primary backup this season. Do you think the Patriots, if they stick with Jones, would be better served going out and getting a Case Keenum or someone who they know probably isn't going to start for them unless it's in a pinch? but can help mentor and kind of tutor Jones as he goes about his business. The name for me that comes to mind, and this would be quite the salary cap hit to bring in basically a mentor, but that's Matt Ryan, right? Do you think there might be some interest in bringing in a Matt Ryan, granted it an inflated cap hit, to come in and provide some reliable backup services if needed, but ultimately just be there to coach and mentor Jones along? Yeah, so you're you're almost talking about like Joe Flacco and what he's doing over there. Um, right, Nick Foles, exactly. You know, Case Keenum, like you already said, a, a, a name, somebody who has started in the NFL before to be a mentor. Um, my short answer to that is no. I I don't think the Patriots put their money there. Um, there's a lot of opportunity here with the salary cap to bring in um, some talent that's going to be starting. Um, and so I, I think that's where they put their money ultimately. All right, cool, cool. All right. Those are the three questions. I had the three most burning questions. There's going to be a lot of other questions. I'm sure they're going to pop up as the draft picture begins to clarify and free agency begins to solidify. Um, but listen, I appreciate you going through that as a bills fan. <laughs> I've gone through many autopsies of why a season went bad. Uh, and I appreciate your professionalism and your detailed, thoughtful comments going through it. Much appreciated, sir. All right. We have a Dolphins pregame to get to. Uh, and I would love your insights into some of this as well, because you saw the Dolphins twice as a New England Patriots fan. Um, we have seen them twice in Buffalo Bills land. And uh, 
I will tell you there were two games that were entertaining for very different reasons, but also wildly infuriating for very different reasons as well. Um, obviously, this pregame begins and ends with Tua. Tua is not going to play. Um, something I'm, I'm happy about from a, a health and well-being standpoint. I think he's on his third concussion this season. Uh, and I think from a, just from a, a well-being standpoint, the Dolphins are doing the right thing, keeping him out. Um, so Skylar Thompson, the rookie, will get his third professional start this Sunday in a playoff game against the Buffalo Bills on the road. Um, Taron Armstead and Raheem Mostert, also doubtful for this game as well. Mostert famously torched the Buffalo Bills run defense in Week 14 in Buffalo and was a key piece of that Miami offense in that game. Um, so... Uh, Jeff Wilson Jr. would get a get a majority of the carries if that were the case there. So both teams a little banged up. Isaiah McKenzie, as I mentioned before, uh, questionable for this game. And then Jordan Phillips, who has been an absolute beast in, in run stopping and in pass pressuring uh, on that defensive line rotation for the Bills, also questionable for this game as well. So some key injuries, which you expect at this point in the season as you get into the postseason here. Um, I mean, honestly, without Tua playing, a lot of the stat comparisons and DVOA comparisons are nonsense. Um, we've gone through them all on this pod now twice, and the reality is, is this is a divisional matchup, and these these two teams know each other. Brandon, I will tell you that as we get in here to keys to this game, there is something that I found infuriating about how both of these teams play each other. And that's how they scheme defenses to stop the opposing offense. I said this uh, prior to the the second game against Miami and Buffalo, where it doesn't feel like Miami understands its defensive personnel because this is a very aggressive defense. They are top five in the league with percentage of drives that they or percentage of plays that they blitz on, but they've got a really dominant front four. And they have the ability to only rush four or only rush three and drop back seven or eight into coverage, which has proven to slow down Josh enough to where he will make a mistake. But And he is a beast against the Blitz. His his completion percentage is a little bit down this season, but his EPA against the Blitz is as high as it's ever been. But the Miami Dolphins through two games very stubbornly Blitz Josh Allen, and he made him pay for it. On the other side, Everybody seems to know that in order to disrupt the timing of this Miami Dolphins offense, you play press man on Waddle and Hill because eventually they're going to break one anyway. They're good, it's a death by a thousand paper cuts if you play zone, and it could be death by one big play if you play man. People have chosen to take the chance and play man and been effective. The Buffalo Bills have chosen not to. They've stuck with their zone scheme, given free releases to Waddle and Hill off the line, and been torched as a result. One of my keys to this game, Brandon, and you can tell me from your perspective, having watched both of these teams as an opponent of these teams, is that these defenses, if they want to surprise any anybody, any personnel on either side of the ball here, need to do something different in the rubber match. I feel like the Bills need to play more press man, and that means playing Kyer Elam opposite Trey White. Because I think it's the only way, especially with a rookie QB, who you don't want to let get comfortable early on in his first postseason start ever, 
it's going to be a, a way for the Bills to put this game away early and effectively. On the flip side, Miami needs to stop blitzing Josh Allen, drop back into coverage like everyone else does, in hopes that he gives you one. Because I love Josh, but he's going to give you one. He might even give you two, right? So you've got to play patient and let Josh make the mistake. It, is that crazy to think that both of these teams should go against type and go against philosophy at this point in the season based on the track record we've seen these teams have when they've played each other? I, I think the game plan for Miami is going to look a lot different than it did the last time you played them. Um, and I, and I, I, I'm, I've been keeping my eye on the weather, but I don't think the, the Bills stadium will have a lot of snow in it. So, yeah. so the players don't have to worry about being pelted all game with snowballs. Um, so that should help. Uh, Miami's morale overall <laughs> uh, on the <laughs> sideline. Um, yeah, I mean, two is out. Um, and so you mentioned uh, Jeff Wilson, Jeff Wilson Jr., uh, who's going to be the starting running back for Miami. I expect to see him getting a lot of work. They're going to be testing their run game early um, with who, we, who they have at quarterback. They're going to need to make it work. After that, they're going to be looking to throw bombs to Tyreek and Jalen Waddle and, and try to uh, exploit deep. So the Bills are going to have to figure that out. They've got, they've got, they cannot give these guys a free release off the line, man. If I watch another game where Jalen Waddle is running free for nine yards across the middle of the field, I might actually lose my mind. Um, and, you know, and that's the thing about this Buffalo Bills defensive personnel is they have the ability to be multiple. They have the ability to play cover three, cover one, cover one sting, right? They've got the ability to roll out all of these packages. And again, Leslie Frazier is an A plus defensive coordinator. And if anyone chooses to interview him for a head coaching job and select him, they're going to be very, very lucky and getting a really great head coach. All that being said though, for all of the aggressiveness that he schemes for at the line of scrimmage, what is going on in the defensive backfield really just relies on guys making plays. And with White still coming back from injury, with Poyer, who has been amazing this season but dinged up on and off, um, and with the uncertainty of is it Dane Jackson or is it Kyer Elam, I think you need to ask these guys to play a little bit differently and take on less ownership and responsibility in that zone set. And to me, that is press man. That is, you guys have one job. Beat the hell out of these wide receivers at the line of scrimmage. Don't let them get a free release. And we promise you, Rousseau and Lawson and Oliver are going to get home. You give it your all for 2.5 seconds by blanketing these guys and beating the crap out of them, and we will get home on Skylar Thompson. That feels to me like it needs to be the philosophy because it is the blueprint that teams have used to beat this Miami Dolphins squad over the course of the season. But you're right. If they continue to play in the way that they have, Jeff Wilson Jr. is going to test the waters. If he has even a modicum of success and has to pull up Poyer or pull up, I think it's going to be Dean Marlowe starting opposite him in the safety, pull those guys up at all. All of a sudden, it's the Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle show like we've seen all the... Uh, all season long and Thompson has enough experience with this playbook 
and his teammates are speaking with a lot of confidence about his ability to execute it to where he might surprise you. He might surprise you, get one off, and then before you know it, Buffalo Bills find themselves in a dogfight. Because again, as we have said before, they tend to let lesser opponents, and because of how dinged up Miami is, they have a lesser roster, they tend to let lesser opponents hang around a little bit too long. For me, the number one key in the domino that needs to fall is that the Buffalo Bills need to do something different on defense. Bring more pressure, test the rookie, don't give these guys a free release, and if you can execute it with some of that epic personnel they have on the defensive side of the ball, the Bills could very well put this game away early. And of course, I'm going to be wrong about this um, because Leslie Frazier is going to do what he does. He'll drop a bunch of guys back and Thompson will give him one because he's nervous and he's a rookie, right? But there is a world where that doesn't happen. And in that world, the Buffalo Bills need to make an adjustment and flip the script a little bit. Um, and that brings me to my next piece, Brandon. Um, Josh Allen gave you guys a very generous red zone interception when we played in week 18. And this has been a theme of the Buffalo Bills season up until this point. Ball security for the Buffalo Bills has been a massive, massive issue for them this year. Um, it plagued them early in the season. It's plagued them later in the season with more and more mistakes happening in the red zone. Um, if the Miami Dolphins are going to win, it's going to be because the Buffalo Bills coughed it up three or more times to them. Um Brandon, so this is where if JJ were on the pod, he would talk me off the ledge and be like, no, the Buffalo Bills have a have a second gear. They're going to be able to hit it. They're going to take care of the ball. Um, I, I, I am throwing myself at your mercy. Do you think the Buffalo Bills will take care of the ball or is their track record for turnovers this season something that follows them into the postseason? I, I truly don't think this game is going to... Uh have Josh Allen forcing the ball anywhere. Uh, as long as Devin Singletary doesn't fumble it again and they give uh, Cook the work that he deserves, um, I, I truly think the Bills are going to be just fine in this one. At home, still riding the high from last week, and like I said, I think playing for something that uh, transcends the sport. Um, and so, you know, I the bills are are making um quite a playoff run i i think what we're going to be watching over these next couple of games um i i would pick them to go to the super bowl uh this year i'm not picking them to win the super bowl but i i'd say <laughs> that they're heading this way um miami is really just going to be a, a speed bump um and y'all will get through this just fine uh, you're at home. It's chilly. Um, temps are going to be dropping into the teens this weekend. I don't care what those warmers are doing on the sideline. Uh, <laughs> out on the field, there's no warmers. So um, everybody's going to be real cold. Um, Skylar Thompson was nothing special um, these last couple of games. And uh, you all will take care of business. So I, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Uh, come come back over here off that ledge. I think yeah, I thank you. I appreciate you taking the role very graciously of talking me off the ledge. Um, I, I will say one point though. 
there have been times where I've watched Josh play this season and I, I love Josh and I wouldn't trade him for anyone. But when you say Josh Allen isn't going to need to force the ball, I think you're right, but that's never stopped Josh from forcing the ball downfield. <laughs> so I think I, and I think this is where my third and final key for the game comes in. And that is James Cook. I think James Cook is a safety valve out of the backfield if Allen is facing pressure. James Cook, if Miami does break out a little bit more four-man rush and a little bit more zone, can run very easily and make teams pay for a light box. And James Cook in pass protection. I think Cook over Singletary is my final key to this game because I think Cook gives you more of a dynamic punch on offense and you don't lose a lot when it comes to your protection scheme and when it comes to your blitz pickup as well. I think Cook can provide a very unexpected wrinkle and another outlet for Josh to utilize. And the thing about Josh is it's all about comfort. He's comfortable with Knox. He's comfortable with Diggs and trusts them to get the ball. If he develops a comfort with Cook in this game, it could be lights out very, very early for Miami because that means Josh is taking the available check down. He's taking care of the ball. Cook is taking pressure off of Josh to make every play by being effective in the run game. And ultimately, what that means is the Bills don't turn the ball over. So I think if you see a steady dose of James Cook in this game, the Bills will take care of the ball and take care of their ball security. And that's going to mean that the Buffalo Bills hopefully ride to an easy win. So those are my big keys to the game here. The defense needs to play a little bit more aggressively, even though I know they won't because it's a rookie and they're going to wait for the rook to make mistakes. They need to take care of the ball. And the key to that is involving James Cook at a variety of levels in the scheme and the game plan. Brandon, anything you want to add or anything I missed before we get to our predictions for this game sure to go wrong? The only thing I'll say is that I'm sure we're going to see, like we do every week, more of the uh, Stefan Diggs, Josh Allen mind meld against Miami. Uh, it's fun to watch, so uh, we'll see more of that this week. For sure. I I am definitely hoping so. Um, and if McKenzie is out, it'll be interesting to see how they use Khalil Shakir here because um, that could be a guy that, again, Allen's all about chemistry and comfort. That could be a guy he develops some very easy and quick chemistry and comfort with uh, if he's given an opportunity to shine. So, all right. Let's get to our prediction, sure to go wrong here. So the spread on this game favors Buffalo. They're a 13-point point favorite in this game, and that number is likely to go up based on where the public money is going. The overall spread on this game is currently sitting at 42.5, according to FanDuel. So, Brandon, what JJ and I typically do is we make predictions of what we think the final score will be and what the over-under will be, and they are almost always wrong, okay? So I'm going to go with final score prediction here. For all of my doom and gloom and all of my frustration with how the Bills may or may not choose to play this Miami Dolphins offense, at the end of the day, they have this team dramatically outgunned. And it would take a perfect effort from the Miami Dolphins defensively in order to win this game. And I just don't think they'll be able to hold up, hold up that level of perfection long enough. At some point, Allen's going to break through. My final score prediction for this game is Bills 27, Miami 7. So I think they cover the spread, but I think they ultimately hit the under with 34 total points. So That's I think the offensive. Bill, 
I feel for it's all Skylar of our Miami Thompson. listeners, I I I feel offended for you. That, what a, what an insult to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Wow, seven points. You literally went on a five minute rant talking about how the this is a speed bump for the Buffalo Bills <laughs> and, how, and how this will be a blip in the mirror on their way to a Super Bowl glory. It's true. So, so, so then tell me your score prediction, Miami Dolphins defender. Where are you at? <laughs> so I give them a lot more credit than one touchdown. Um, the Bills will put up 31 points. So I give 30 burger. Okay. More more points than you are. And I think Miami gets a respectable 17. Um so wow. okay. Yeah. I, I right. think two touchdowns and a field goal is, is what they walk away with. Um they scored 11 points against the Jets last week. <laughs> just this is playoffs. Just, this is just playoff putting football. it out there. Playoff football is a whole other beast. So, true, true story. And Mike McDaniel, hell of a game schemer, hell of a game schemer. So. He's fun. Uh, I, I like him. I like his he's personality. A cool yeah, he's a cool dude. All right. We also move on to prop bets, which is like a silly thing that we think might happen during the game. Um, and I am going to go to the Buffalo Bills defensive side of the ball. So it is impossible to predict this, but. I have been on the Kyer Elam over Dane Jackson bandwagon all season. And it is time now that we've reached the postseason for the Bills to really make a decision on who their number two opposite of Trey White is. So I am going to go over under Kyer Elam 55.5% of the snap share this game. That would mean that he's starting very likely and getting a larger percentage of the snap share over Dane Jackson. Now, for a point of comparison, Dane Jackson and Kyrie Elam um, each played about 40% of the snap share last week. Week prior to that, Dane Jackson played a, played um, 80% of the snaps. So consistently all season, Jackson has gotten more snap share than Kyrie Elam. So this would be a first if the Bills were to go this route. But I'm saying it's going to be a necessity. So I'm going over 55.5%. Brandon, do the Buffalo Bills stick with their trend and play Dane Jackson, or do they switch to the press man cover they drafted in the first round? Uh, press man. Oh, wow. You're going with me. Yeah, I am. I am. Oh, I'm thrilled at this. <laughs> <laughs> what, yep. what, how, how come? Is it because I made such a good case earlier on in the pod with my frustration? You convinced me. <laughs> you convinced me on it. Excellent. Very, very cool. I, I appreciate that. All right. And then my final prop, total sacks. The Buffalo Bills pass rush, while their pass rush win rate has gone up, they were uh, at one point midseason 25th in the league. They've gone all the way up to 11th. Their sack total has gone down. Okay. And they haven't really been able to exploit bad offensive lines. Reason being, it's because teams know that the four-man is coming. They know Greg Rousseau is a beast. And like you guys did Week 18, they're just trying to get the ball out quick. I don't know that Thompson has that processing ability to get the ball out as quick as a Mac Jones or a Tua does. But if he does, he should be safe. I am betting that he doesn't. While the Bills' pass rush has struggled to get home, 
they are winning their assignments more frequently than they had been earlier in the season. And I think that finally in this game, especially if Taron Armstead is out against a weak Miami offensive line, finally translates into sacks. So over under three and a half sacks in this game for the Buffalo Bills defense, I am going over. For point of comparison, the last time they had over three sacks in a game was all the way back to week checks notes. Week, that can't be right. Oh yeah, against Kansas City. Before the bye. <laughs> so what do you think? Another trend that the Buffalo Bills would be bucking, Brandon. Over or under three and a half sacks for the Bills. I'm going to have to take the under on that. Um, oh, there it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, you only got one sack on uh, McCorkle last week. And so I, I <laughs> think sorry. that I, I think that. I think three and a half is really ambitious. I, I If you said three, yeah, I'd agree with you there. But um, but not not more than three and a half. So I'm taking the under here. You're taking the under. You think three is reasonable. So if the over under was two and a half, you take the over. But you don't think four is in the cards. Exactly. Cool. I'm going to do you one better. Final prep before we close it out. Not only will the Buffalo Bills have more than more than, more than than three and a half sacks, Greg Rousseau will have multiple sacks. Over under, Greg Rousseau, one and a half sacks this game. I am taking the over. Sure. I'll, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll agree with you on this one. I mean, he has been, it, like, I know Ep, like Epineza has been on and off, but he's increased his overall sack total since Miller went out. But Rousseau, even with Miller out, has continued to be dominant and really continued to pop. And again, if Armstead is out, Rousseau is going to be a problem for this offensive line. And I really think heading into the playoffs, he is taking leadership of that defensive line unit on his back based on a lot of the... Uh, post-practice interviews we've seen leading up to this week, I think Rousseau is really ready to pop here um, in his second year of postseason action. So I'm going to take the over. You're going to take the over. Excellent. All right, man. That's it. We covered everything. We broke down the Patriots' Week 18 loss. We talked a little bit about what your boys need to do in the offseason. And uh, you gave me a great therapy session uh, when it came to my frustrations with the Bills and what they may or may not do against the Fens. Uh, very admirable in filling in here as our guest host this week, Brandon. How did it feel to pod with us? Uh, it felt great. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to come behind enemy lines. Uh, you've been a, a really gracious host, um, and I, I appreciate you uh, hearing me out here. So, Absolutely. We appreciate your insights and a lot of the, the comments and objectivity you brought to the table here today. So you're welcome back anytime, anytime, my friend. For those of you listening at home, like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Apple, and Spotify. And as always, go Bills.